Today, that means we are finishing uh, our study of the book of James. So if you have been diligently copying out those scriptures today, you'll, you'll have the sense of satisfaction of completing an entire book of the Bible. But to do that, I'd invite you to turn to James chapter 5, verse 12, is where we're going to start this morning. So to kind of locate where we are as we, we come to the end of the book here, Last week, we looked at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And if you can remember back to the message from last week, the emphasis James uh, has in those verses is on patience and endurance. And he says, be, be patient. Be patient, brothers and sisters. Right? Be, be sort of long in suffering, able to endure challenges and difficult times and seasons. But if you remember, he says the reason we can be patient, the, the way we practice that virtue as God's people, is because of something that is coming. He says, be patient because the Lord is coming. Right? The kingdom of our Lord is coming. And so patience, we said, is, is predicated on this, this future kingdom, this future good. And because we are promised that future good, it, it gives us strength. It gives us perspective. It enables us to respond differently in the present moment. Well, today, as we move into the last eight verses, last nine verses of James 5, we're going to talk about a different practice. And I think it's connected to that practice of patience of waiting, of having kingdom perspective. But here at the very end of his letter, James wants to focus on a practice that I think he is saying releases power from that future kingdom, power from the heavenly realms where Jesus reigns and rules, and it releases it into our present reality, our present moment. And that practice is prayer. Prayer is the sign of what it means to be a person in God's kingdom. Prayer is the way we live an active and patient and mature and complete faith. Right? Prayer keeps us connected to, it keeps us anchored in. Keeps us rooted in who God is and the power that he possesses. So this morning, I want to take a few minutes first to look at what James tells us and teaches us about prayer. And then I want to finish this morning by inviting us to practice it. And, and I'm going to invite uh, Ben Cordemanch and our prayer teams. Every Sunday, we have those uh, who are, are trained and, and desiring to pray for specific needs in our body. They're going to come forward um, today at the end of our, our time. And just make it available for us to practice this. If you need prayer in a particular area, um, to avail ourselves of that. So let me look uh, at James 5, starting in verse 12. Let me pray as I, as I step into these verses. Lord Jesus, you have promised that your kingdom is both one that, that reigns and rules in heavenly realms, but is is invading our reality now, and one you are committed to bringing fully and completely to the earth. And Lord, we, we ask you 
We pray to you that we would see signs of its breaking in, even today. Lord, as we come to your word, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing, be be conformed to who you are, what you have said, what you desire. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. I'm going to pick up in verse 12, and then we'll, we'll move quickly into the section, specifically dealing with prayer. But James 5.12, James writes, Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, do not take oaths, do not make promises. Do not swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. This verse, I think, links back to the passage we were in last week, where James talks about bearing up under difficult seasons of suffering and trial and testing. And I think often when when we need to endure those, those difficult seasons... When we're in a place of distress, one of the things we are tempted to do is to make promises. We need to to convince ourselves that things are going to improve or that we have the right plan to make things work or that we can be depended upon under those difficult circumstances. In times where we feel stretched or under pressure, we look for some kind of assurance. And in the ancient world, in James' particular context and culture, it was not unusual for for people to sort of enhance the sincerity of their promise or or sort of bring some insurance behind the plan they were making by invoking the name of God in the form of a vow or an oath or a promise. And it was sort of like bringing God's name and God's backing as a form of collateral on the plan or the, the, the promise I was making. Right? With God as my witness, I will do this, or you will do this, or this is going to happen. Right? It, was, it was a way to bring assurance, added assurance, to, to something we desired to do. And we don't probably do that in the same sort of formal sense. We probably don't enter into contracts or promises with others in in that same way, using the name of God. But often I I find myself creating sort of future expectations, plans, internal resolutions or vows of my own. That things are going to be this way and and I'm going to do this. God just... Just help make it so. And as we said a a few weeks back when James talks about at the end of chapter 4, the making of plans. Projecting into the future. The problem is that all things are not within my power to control. I can't see the future. I can't control what's going to happen. And so what happens when I don't follow through? on even the best of my intentions? What happens when my promises don't fix things? Things don't resolve. Then what? 
James warns us against sort of making false assurances, bringing the name of God onto our plans and purposes in a way that may actually cause us to take God's name in vain. Because he says there's a different way we can speak to God. There's a different way we can partner with God about our future and where we find strength and assurance. And he offers us that different way starting in verses 13 and 14. James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Are you suffering? Are you enduring difficult things? Well, then let them pray. Is anyone happy? Well, then let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Then let them call the elders of the church to pray. Instead of making promises or taking oaths or or vowing that we are going to try harder to find a solution ourselves, James says we can pray. We can pray when we are in trouble. We can pray when we are, are full of joyful encouragement. We can pray when we are sick. Prayer, James says, is available to us in every single circumstance. There's never a situation where prayer is inadvisable. And how do we we learn that posture of sort of constant prayer? One one resource that's been useful to me, a few years back, I became aware of of a prayer book called Every Moment Holy. I know some of you have used it. And it's, it's, a, it's a big book with a bunch of short liturgies, short prayers. And their, their prayer is designed to help, help you stop long enough just to sort of notice God's presence or ask for God's perspective or help in everyday situations. There are prayers for changing diapers. There are prayers for confessing destructive desires. There are prayers to pray while you're drinking your morning coffee. Uh, someone last week, a, a friend of mine uh, who, who lives outside of Vermont, wrote, wrote a prayer for me to use in my drive. Uh, you know, I, I drive about six minutes from work to home. A, a prayer, a short prayer to pray in that, that transitional space of moving from the end of a workday into the fullness of family life. These, these short prayers, these short liturgies. Right, and... And there's no magic formula to those, but the idea is is to create this sort of fundamental posture of prayer as we live out our days. We move through the rhythms of life and all that it contains. And I think that sort of captures the vision that James has here for prayer. James invites us to pray in every circumstance, but, but so rarely do I avail myself of prayer in that way. I'm pretty good at praying when crisis happens. Pretty good at praying when kind of every other option is off the table. I pray when I'm overwhelmed with things. And of course, prayer is is the best thing we can do in every one of those circumstances. But what keeps me, what keeps you from praying the rest of the time? I think if I'm honest, one of the things that keeps me from prayer is kind of an unspoken assumption about what actually changes things. What's really efficacious? 
Is it more, more efficient for me to apply my own well, come up with my own strategy? Or does prayer actually do something? Does prayer actually have power to change my circumstances? Right, do we believe, do you have experiences that what you say to God, what you ask of God, what you bring to God, changes something? Well, James wants us to know his experience. He wants to exhort us from what he says is true about prayer. Look at, look at these verses from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let's see if I can move forward here. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James, I think, knows what our assumptions are about prayer. And he challenges them. He challenges us to believe to insist that prayer has real power to change things. James says prayer has the power to make a sick person well. James says prayer has the power to raise up. Prayer has power to minister forgiveness. James says prayer, as, as Elijah's story demonstrates, has the power even to stop and to start the rains from heaven. And prayer even has the power to turn a sinner from the error of their ways. Right? In short, he says, prayer is powerful and effective. And what I find incredible about, about this list of what prayer can do, verses 14 to 20, is that prayer does precisely the things that I cannot do. Prayer is directly linked to, to power to do things that I don't have the agency to control. I cannot control, I cannot rehabilitate my own health just by exerting my will, right? It doesn't, doesn't work that way. I cannot break the power of sin in my own life or in somebody else's life by myself. I cannot cause clouds to form in the sky. Right? Every single one of the things James names here is actually beyond my agency. 
James says we are in relationship with someone who can and who chooses to exercise these abilities on our behalf. But what you'll notice if you, if you study the way James talks about the power of prayer here, he says prayer connects us to that power of the kingdom, that, that power that God alone possesses. But most often God chooses to channel that power through his people. Prayer is God's agency expressed through us. Prayer is God's power channeled through us as a gift to one another in the body. And so James spells out at least two specific ways the body can practice availing itself of this power, living into that that coming kingdom power in the present moment. he says that it's a, it's a way that we offer these things to each other. The first of those practices is outlined in verses 14 and 15. And James calls the church to be a place that surrounds those who are sick. He speaks of, of anointing them with, with oil as a, a sort of tangible sign of God's healing and restorative power. And to pray that God would make the sick person well. That's that's an incredible claim, that by the laying on of hands, God can bring healing and restoration. But I want to share with you just one story. I I actually had to to pick from probably four or five stories this week that I think demonstrate the truth of James' claim here. Uh, We have, Katie and I have a good friend, uh, his name is Ben Hopwood, and Ben's someone that we got to know during our years living and, and working in China. And, you know, we, we saw quite a bit of, of Ben in the years where we were living overseas, and then we moved back to the States. But in the spring of 2018, we got an email from Ben, uh, who's roughly our age, that he had been diagnosed with a very aggressive form of lymphoma, cancer. And so because of that, he and his wife, Chrissy, had to make pretty urgent plans to move their lives back from China to Colorado, where um, their families were living. And Ben immediately began medical treatment in the Denver area. But after the the first kind of initial diagnoses and tests were completed, the doctors said he had about a 50-50 chance of surviving um, the the cancer in its advanced state. And so he, he went into intensive chemotherapy for a month And he was briefly released from the hospital in between sessions of chemotherapy to go home and to rest and to recover and kind of rebuild his strength for the next rounds to come. And during that first break from chemotherapy, Ben reconnected with a friend of his who was living in Colorado Springs. And his friend invited Ben to come with him to his church fellowship there in in, um, the Springs. And specifically, he said he wanted to, to engage in a, a time of focused prayer for healing over Ben's body. And I want to read to you how, how Ben described uh, that visit. Uh, this was on his CaringBridge website during his, his cancer treatment. He said, uh, about five minutes into our time of prayer that night, some of the elders laid hands on me 
and I realized that my head, my hands, and my arms were covered in sweat. A few minutes later, one of them commented on the intensity of heat that they were feeling radiate through my clothes. We were only about 15 or 20 minutes into praying, but soon after, I, after we finished, I was back to, quote, normal temperature. It says that afterward, his friend and I were sharing a meal, and he commented on how hot I felt to him. And he asked if I had recently experienced any fevers. Ben says that fevers were a serious issue. He checked his temperature every day. And if his temperature went over 100 degrees, he had to go to the ER immediately. But he hadn't had any fevers in the days leading up to that prayer time. And when he got home that evening, his, his temperature was normal. It was 97 degrees. Ben writes, perhaps the strangest thing as I look back on that experience was that I didn't feel uncomfortably hot, but just instead sensed a general warmth. My purpose in sharing this experience is not to claim that I was healed on Tuesday night, although I know many of you have joined with us in praying for this outcome, but to thank the Lord for being present and active in our lives and to share a memory stone from my journey over the past couple weeks. And then he, he closes that entry by saying, and I certainly wouldn't mind if the doctors came away from my PET scan tomorrow wondering where the masses went. So Ben wrote that you know, to those who were praying for him in his Caring Bridge journal on June 10th. And the next entry, two days later on June 12th, has as its subject line, full metabolic remission. It says, he said, after a very long day of tests, including a PET scan, the doctors came into his room as uh, ben describes feeling really happy. <laughs> and he said that the doctor told him that the PET scan, the CT scans, could no longer find any traces of cancer in his body. And ben wrote, while my doctor may think of me as a poster child for positive chemotherapy outcomes, these are the, her words, not mine, he writes, I can't help but smile knowing that there is more at work here than meets the eye. While there are no health guarantees, I'm learning to be ever more thankful for the day I've been given and to stand firm in God's promises, which do not fail. I appreciate his admission there that God doesn't answer these prayers in a, in a formulaic or a mechanistic way. And God does not heal every person, every time, in the way that we pray for. And I know... Many of us have endured long seasons of praying our loved ones through prolonged battles with illness and disease. And that too is an exercise of prayer and faith. But I think every time the church prays in this way, every time we, we act on this, it does connect us more deeply to the kingdom Jesus desires to bring on the earth connects us to its power. It connects us to its hope. It connects us more deeply to one another. And I do believe prayer changes things. It really changes things. I continue to be challenged to, to believe that and to trust that and to act on that. So James tells us that the church can act and can pray for those who are sick 
but also in verses 16 and following, he highlights that God also releases his power to heal us in, in a different way. And that's as we confess our sin to one another. God's desire to, to heal is not just limited to our bodies or to disease, but it extends to our spirits, it extends to our thoughts, it extends into our relationships. And he says if, if we're willing to acknowledge where there is disorder, where there is a lack of health, where there has been sin either committed by us or against us, right? then it, it opens up a space for a brother or a sister to speak God's grace, to speak God's truth over those areas of our lives. And those two are prayers of healing, prayers of restoration. Right? And so in verse 16, James says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so you may be healed. We can do this with one another. So I want to I want to finish our worship time together this morning by inviting us to practice this. And I want to, want to hand off to Ben Cordemanch here. He's going to just share a few thoughts. Um, ben and Sarah have, have done quite a bit with prayer ministry, both here at JCC, but also with the Navigators and with Isaiah 40, which is a prayer ministry. And so he's just going to share a few thoughts about what it looks like to practice this as a body and then also extend an invitation um, at the end of our worship time today to to practice this with one another. Um, as many of you know or have seen, we have been offering in pairs uh, opportunity to be prayed for after the service. And so I, I wanted, or Pastor David asked me, could I just peel back the curtain a little bit in terms of what is it that we're doing? Because it's a unique way of praying. It's not the only way of praying, but it's a great way to pray and for you all to join or to, to be prayed for or to join God in what he is doing or allow a, a ministry prayer team to join God in what he's doing. I mean, I, I can't help but think, as, as Pastor Dave was preaching and just other things I've been thinking about, just the phrase, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And as we approach God in prayer, we are choosing to believe God, that he hears us, that he, he wants us to speak with him, he wants to do things for us, he longs for us to connect with him more deeply, and so we believe God um, as we pray. When I think about what we're doing or what we're trying to do uh, in ministry prayer teams is we're really taking on like a Mark II posture. And so if, if those of you who know Mark II, it's a story where the paralytic is brought to Jesus by his friends. And they stand there, they lower him down through the roof and set him before Jesus' feet. And there's just a sense of great dependency in inviting Jesus to do something. And we, as we pray with you, um, that is really the posture that we have. There's a sense of standing with you in solidarity and just putting you before Jesus, saying, Jesus, what would you like to do? You know, and oftentimes people come up and they just, we will ask you, what, what is it, is there one thing that you'd like us to pray for to join you in prayer over? And then we offer that to Jesus, but really make space for him to respond how he wants to respond. And sometimes it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it seemed like with the paralytic, it was pretty straightforward. He was lame. He needed to be well. But we want to make space to invite Jesus to respond how he wants to because instead of making the man well immediately, he looks down at him with compassion and said, my son, your sins are forgiven. That seemed like a major redirect. And we could preach sermons about the theology of what's going on there and you've probably heard them. 
But the point is, sometimes we want to make space to let Jesus address the situation, and we're going to do the same thing. We want to make space for Jesus to address that which you have brought and laid before him. And we're up there discerning that with God, you know, with, with you before God as we pray. You know, and again, another verse that's really been guiding for Sarah me as we think about this posture in addition to the, the Mark 2 passage is really James 1.19. And I'm aware it's really about, you know, withstraining your anger, but he says, let us be slow to uh, quick to hear and slow to speak. And we want to be quick to hear what God would have to say and slow to speak. So we're not rushing to a conclusion, but we're leaving space for God to address us and to, to administer the word, the healing, the whatever it might be that he wants to bring. And so that's just generally how we pray and what we're doing and as we've been training others in the congregation to uh, bring this uh, ministry of prayer to our congregation. That's really what we're doing. We're trying to be slow to speak, quick to hear. And what we found is more often than not, God will bring scriptural passages, spiritual truths, a fresh question, a reframe in that time. And so, for example, a couple weeks ago, uh, most of you know I, I'm the regional director for the, the Navigators Collegiate, and I just led a staff gathering a couple weeks ago, and I was feeling an immense amount of pressure, just like everybody wanted a piece of me. Um, and as, as a leader, we haven't been together in two years, and so I just thought, I've been praying for others, their turn, time, time to let them pray for me. And so I approached the ministry prayer team, kind of just shared, this is how I'm feeling, and they began to pray. And one of the prayer ministers said, actually, the picture that's coming to mind as we're praying for you is actually Jesus walking through the crowds and everybody wanting a piece of him. And she didn't really know what to do with that per se, or maybe she did and she just didn't tell me, but that was such a helpful reframe because that was how I was feeling, but it was great to reframe even as I went into that staff gathering thinking, oh, what I need to do is help them reach for Jesus, not for me. Because, and that actually frees me to be myself and offer what I can and let Jesus do his part, which is much better and more effective than I can. But that didn't come out until I actually laid that and my friend stood beside me and prayed alongside me. So that's really what's happening there. And so, um, you know, so what I invite you to do just by way of moving forward, so uh, Steve and Bonnie are going to play the offertory. Just begin to sit and just say, Lord, is there one thing that you'd like to talk with me about or that you'd like me to go up and, and stand with a pair and be prayed for? Maybe not. Maybe it's something you just want to pray quietly in your seat or, or talk to a friend about afterwards. Totally fine. But if there is something that God is putting his finger on, whether it's sin you just need to confess, you need to say it out loud to somebody and, and receive God's forgiveness and have somebody speak that over you, come make yourself available. You know, come avail yourself of the prayer team. Or if there's something you just want healing for or something you're distressed about, we would love to pray for you. And so Karen and I and Brian and Jan will be up front, just over here off to the side. We'll kind of surround you so it feels a little bit private. And we just love to pray for you um, as part of the end of the service. So Steve and Bonnie will play the, the offertory. We can just sit in silence. And then during the last hymn, we'll be available to you. And then after the service, we'll be around up front. And we'd just love for you to um, make use of this prayer ministry. So thanks. <laughs> 